Welcome to the Get Healthier Podcast with Rena Jadhav, who's on a quest to uncover breakthroughs and cures in living longer, healthier, and happier. Genetic testing, stem cells, rattling, talking to Silicon Valley geniuses and the best doctors in the world about the hottest products and programs to make you live an amazingly joyful life. Are you ready? Now, here's your host, Rena. Hey, folks, it's Rena Jadhav here, host of the Healthier Podcast founder and CEO of HealCircles.org, a social nonprofit committed to helping you kill chronic disease and live the healthiest, longest life imaginable. All right, I'm super excited today because we've got Dr. Michael Greger coming on the show. Um, He's a man I admire tremendously having read his book, How Not to Die. So if you haven't read How Not to Die, I highly recommend it. Check it out. But today we're going to talk about how not to diet because, of course... Um, when you look at New Year's resolutions, guess what number one is? Dieting, weight loss. 30 days later, guess who's not keeping up that resolution? Over 90%. It's not easy. So we know dieting doesn't work, and yet there's a new diet. Is it keto? Is it paleo? Is it plant-based, Mediterranean? It's enough to give someone a headache. So how do we decide which is the right diet for weight loss? So So Dr. Greger is a founding member and fellow of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. He's a physician, New York Times bestselling author, internationally recognized speaker on nutrition, food safety, public health issues. I'm not going to read out the incredibly long list of accomplishments. Needless to say, go check out our show notes if you'd like to learn a little bit more about him as well as his website. And now let's get started. Dr. Greger, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. So you've written a brand new book. Tell us, first of all, why did you write the book? You know, with so much uh, nutritional noise and nonsense these days, I just wanted there to finally be an evidence-based diet book. And I cited literally thousands of studies digging up every possible uh, tip, trick, tweak, technique proven to accelerate the loss of body fat, to, to give people every possible advantage, and basically build the optimal weight loss solution from the ground up. Yeah, it's, it's enough to drive someone like me who loves research and learning to go binge on brownies, and I'm not exaggerating. Um, I've done about 112 interviews so far, and there's 112 different stories I've heard. Um, lots of overlap, because a lot of smart people have the same um, research studies that they quote. And in your book, I think you've quoted close to 5,000, it's like 4,992 odd. So a lot of science behind what you've written. But yes, you're right. It's, it's very difficult for the common person to make sense between vegan, plant-forward, paleo, keto, Mediterranean, you know, it's just, it's endless. So does your diet have a name? You know, I have to ask. Um, well, uh, uh, I end up with a daily dozen diet, basically. Okay. Um, which besides being, you know, safe, uh, sustainable, nutritious, and healthy, I think really best fits the 17, 17 criteria for optimal weight loss, um, which is what really the first half of the book is all about. So it's a diet centered around um, some of the healthiest of healthy foods out there. Okay. Well, we're going to structure this interview into exactly those two main topics. We're going to talk about those 17 triggers, and then we're going to talk about the Daily Dozen diet. So let's get started. What have you found? What, what are, A, what's making us fat? Let's just start with that. Okay. Well, I mean, yeah, in fact, that's how I start the book out. Uh, um, uh, I talk about the causes, consequences, 
and the solutions tried to date of the obesity epidemic. And, you know, rather than some sort of, uh, you know, disorder, weight gain can be thought of as largely a normal response by normal people to an abnormal situation. And with more than 70% of Americans now overweight, it's literally normal. Uh, the rise in excess, number of excess calories in the U.S. food supply since the 1970s more than is sufficient to explain the entirety of the obesity epidemic. In other words, it's the food. The rise in uh, calorie surplus uh, was less about a change in food quantity, though, than food quality with this explosion of cheap, high-calorie, low-quality convenience foods, right? Uh, uh, think of the Twinkie, for example, right? I mean, look, with enough time and effort, any ambitious cook could, you know, create cream-filled cakes in their own kitchen. But today, they're available at every turn for less than a dollar. I mean, if every time you wanted a Twinkie, you had to bake it yourself, you'd probably eat fewer Twinkies. It's the food, stupid. I love that. It, it really is the food. We've got to stop looking at um, other triggers, although food also means it's toxins, right? We're ingesting glyphosate. Body doesn't know what to do with that. We're eating really late in the night. We're frying stuff on bad oils. It's, it all comes down to what goes in here creates this. So I have to comment you're walking on a treadmill as we interview. I love it. I'm getting a little dizzy watching you, but I love it. To what extent does movement or exercise or the lack thereof in our highly sedentary tech-based lives, what percentage of blame do you attribute to that? Yeah, sorry about making people seasick, but yeah, prolonged sitting which is sitting for more than six hours a day, is not good for you. Even if you go out to gym after, uh, uh, after a long day, sitting in the office uh, increases your risk of, uh, of premature death, prolonged sitting. Um, sitting is certainly not the new smoking. Smoking 10 times more deadly than prolonged sitting, but still not good for you. In terms of weight loss, you really cannot outrun a bad diet. And that's because, you know, even if you're a moderately obese person doing moderately intense uh, physical activity like biking or very brisk walking, you really only got to be burning about 350 calories an hour, whereas uh, um, uh, you know, most drinks, snacks, and processed foods are eaten at a rate of about 70 calories per minute. So in five minutes, you just Ooh. wiped out a whole hour of exercise. Um, that's why we really have much more control over the calories inside of the equation than the calories out. Absolutely. And I, literally you want me, I feel like I need to stand up and start walking with you. Ah! Uh, <laughs> you're, you're motivating me. I'm like, why am I sitting? I need to get up. I need right, to even get a up. standing desk uh, is, uh, you know, uh, would, uh, would uh, prevent that problem. Absolutely. All right. So 17, give us, give us your top five of the 17 triggers. Oh, yeah. So these are the criteria for an optimal weight loss diet. I mean, originally I had uh, considered, uh, you know, just doing a chapter on each of the, you know, current diets. But you know, I'm part of the U.S. News and World Report expert panel on diet. And, you know, we get dozens of new studies every, excuse me, dozens of new diets every year. And I realized it'd just be like playing a game of whack-a-mole. And the, the, the book would already be outdated before it even came out. So, so true. instead I was just like, well, let's, what are the weight loss efficacy ingredients um, that would make a diet effective for weight loss. And uh, so uh, I was able to find 17. So then you just look at any new diet that comes down the path and see, well, wait a second, how many of the 17 criteria does it fit? So for example, 
the optimal weight loss diet uh, should be anti-inflammatory, should be clean, free from uh, uh, hormone-disrupting chemicals, full of fiber-rich foods to trap calories, flush them out of the body, and you know, on down the list. Basically, it comes down to eating real food that grows out of the ground from fields, not factories, and diets centered around whole plant foods. It turns out the single healthiest diet also appears to be the most effective diet for weight loss. So of all the diet brand names that we've been sold in the past decade, which one comes closest to what you're proposing? Uh, a whole food plant-based diet. I mean, it's not, uh, it wouldn't be perfect, um, but uh, really comes closest um, to, uh, to, to, to uh, um, uh, what would be a, not only a safe, sustainable, nutritious, and healthy diet, but one uh, most effective for weight loss. What's up with keto? How do you evaluate keto and, and the super-duper success people have in losing weight on keto? Yeah, so, I mean, the ketogenic diet, what people don't understand um, is that body fat loss actually slows down when you switch to a ketogenic diet because your body starts cannibalizing its own protein. Uh, but just looking at the bathroom scale, keto seems like a smashing success. Um, there was a famous NIH study which showed people losing less than a pound a week on a regular diet, then boom, three and a half pounds over seven days after switching to keto. But what was happening inside their bodies told a totally different story. Their body fat loss actually slowed down by more than by about half um, after switching to keto. Um, so most of the, what they were losing was just water, but they're also losing protein, also losing lean mass. That's why the leg muscles of CrossFit trainees placed on a ketogenic diet may shrink as much as 8% over two months. I mean, exercise is supposed to make your muscles bigger, not smaller. And of course, look, even if keto diets worked, the goal of weight loss is not to fit into a skinnier casket. Absolutely. So that's your take on keto. What's your take on animal protein and the fact that, let's start with fish. What do you think of fish? To what extent should people eat fish? And what kind of a diet do you follow, by the way? Oh, so for the last 30 years, I've been following a, a plant-based diet since uh, summer of 1990 with the publication of Dr. Dean Norris's landmark lifestyle hot trial proving for the first time with a randomized control trial that uh, we could reverse the number one killer of men and women, heart disease, opening up arteries without drugs, without surgery, just a plant-based diet and lifestyle program. So that's really what convinced me and uh, yet hundreds of thousands of Americans continue to needlessly die from what we learned decades ago was a reversible condition. Um, in terms of fish, I mean, if we had a time machine and could go back before the Industrial Revolution, and, uh, you know, it'd be a different story. But now, um, if you're talking about any of the industrial pollutants, like dioxins, PCBs, mercury, um, uh, the highest levels are found in the aquatic food chain. Everything eventually flows into the sea. So all the mercury spews from all the coal plants in China eventually deposited into our oceans um, and then builds up the food chain. So, you know, larger fish, longer living fish have higher levels, higher up you go on the food chain. So if we ate minnows or something, it wouldn't be as much of a problem. But um, uh, the, the, it's really the industrial pollutants are a problem. And that's why you see such conflicting data versus uh, advice to eat fish and fish oil supplements. Turns out the latest Cochrane review, which is like the, the gold the standard for evidence-based medicine, uh, found essentially no benefit for cardiovascular disease pre uh, prevent, uh, uh, protection in terms of uh, fish oil capsules or giving people advice to eat fatty fish. 
And that may be because while the long chain omega-3s may be improving um, things, the, the toxic pollutants like mercury may actually be cardiotoxic. So we get this kind of uh, mixed effect. That's why I encourage people to get gluten-free sources of nutrition as much as possible by eating as low as possible on the food chain. And so that would be a plant-based diet. There's some confusion around wild versus farmed. I've been part of several conversations where, of course, everyone says go wild. And then lately, you touched upon this, the issue has been, is there any non-polluted wild fish? I'm going to just stay on fish for right. just a no, So there isn't, but wild is definitely better than farm. Okay. So you're still saying go wild, even with the China mercury, right. the, go but wild. The problem, the problem is there's so much fraud in terms of mislabeling of uh, not just species, but wild versus, uh, I mean, you can actually test the flesh because, I mean, you know, like the, the, the salmon is only pink um, because they eat a certain kind of pink crustacean on the ocean, but they actually just feed food dyes to these animals to dye their flesh pink. So you can actually do a tissue samples and say, oh, this is actually not a wild fish, this is a farm-raised fish. Um, and when you do that, you see just some widespread fraud within the industry see this a lot with olive oil as well. So you just really can't, uh, I mean, you can't really, you know, even, even if you did have this knowledge, um, it would be very difficult to translate it into a commercial setting. Uh, best thing to do would be to uh, choose healthier sources of protein. We know where you come out on, on meat in general, but what about eggs? I mean, it's not how I come out. I mean, this is what the oh, best balance of evidence uh, yes. comes out. Right? I mean, I have no stake yes. intended either way. Um, uh, but uh, in terms of eggs, um, uh, you know, are eggs healthy? Well, compared to, compared to what, right? Food is a zero-sum game. Every time we put something in our mouth, there's an opportunity cost, a lost opportunity to put something healthy in our mouth. So, for example, are eggs healthy? Well, compared to a breakfast link sausage next to it, absolutely, right? Processed meat, bacon, ham, hot dogs, lunch meat, sausage. These are category one carcinogens. We know they cause cancer in people, right? So, uh, so is it healthy compared to the sausage? Absolutely. Is it healthy compared to oatmeal? Not even close, right? No fiber. No, I mean, I mean so, um, uh, you know, uh, dietary cholesterol. So, I would encourage people. Um, you know, to, to move towards healthier and healthier foods as much as possible. And that's what I love about what you're preaching here is that there's a continuum. And oh, food, absolutely. Food right. falls on a continuum. And absolutely. So it's not black or white. And look, it doesn't even, and it doesn't matter what you eat on your birthday, holiday, special occasions. Uh, you know, your body has a remarkable capacity to bounce back from injury. It's really the day stuff that adds up. So, so, so true about that. It's, uh, so I do an 80-20 rule. What do you do? What, what is your typical, what does Dr. Greger's diet look like? Uh, well, when I'm home and have a, actually have control over my diet, I eat the Daily Dozen. That's where the Daily Dozen uh, came from. That's the second half of my How Not to Die book. The first half is just 15 chapters in each of the 15 lane causes of death. Talking about the old diet. We play in preventing, arresting, reversing each of our top 15 killers, but um, and, you know, thousands of references, but I didn't want it to just be a, a, a reference book. I wanted it to be a, a practical guide. I'm making grocery store type day-to-day -day decisions. And so that's what became the second half of the book where I center my recommendations around the Daily Dozen checklist of all the healthiest of healthy foods. I encourage people to find a fit in their daily routine. So legumes every day, which are beans, peas, chickpeas, and lentils, greens every day, the healthiest vegetables, berries every day, the healthiest fruits, tablespoon of ground flaxseed, quarter teaspoon of turmeric, the best beverages, best sweeteners, how much exercise to get every day, 
again, in hopes of just kind of inspiring people to eat some of these healthy foods and crowd out some of the less healthy options. Unfortunately, on the road where I'm stuck in some airport food court, um, I'm lucky if I even, you know, get, get half of those in. But uh, I do my best. And thankfully, it's getting easier all the time to eat healthier and healthier. Can you rank the, do- the, the dozen? Because exactly like you said, it's very difficult to be perfect all the time. And there might be some days when we all can pull in the, the perfect dozen. But most days, it's, it's going to be back to what can I bring into my diet today? So of the 12, which are the ones that you think are the absolute most critical? Like here's the five or six that really you should eat every single day. Um, uh, probably beans, greens, and berries would be the top three. And if there were th- just three things to remove from one's diet, yes. it would be anything with trans fats, like partially hydrogenated oils, which are being uh, removed from the food supply, but still found in meat and dairy. Um, uh, processed meat, like we talked about, and also liquid candy, soda. We should try to remove those from our, um, that from our diet as well. So just those three things would go a long way towards improving the health of the American public. Tell everyone what liquid candy is. Soda. And a lot of the sugar-powered health drinks, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, all the mm-hmm. sports drinks and stuff is just uh, colored sugar water. Absolutely. What do you think of the artificial sweeteners like monk fruit, stevia, agave? Where do you come out on those three? Oh, so those aren't artificial sweeteners. Those are natural sweeteners. Some low-calorie sweeteners, such as uh, stevia monk fruit, some regular high-calorie sweeteners like agave. And um, so agave, just like honey, maple syrup, or table sugar, is just sugar, basically. Um, and, uh, and I have some videos about the, the, all the non-caloric sweeteners. I go through each one. Uh, sucralose can uh, hurt your uh, microbiome. Aspartame can trigger uh, migraines. And, but even uh, the natural uh, low-calorie sweeteners like uh, monk fruit and uh, stevia can have adverse effects on our uh, blood sugars. Um, and uh, this is because of a mismatch between the sweetness on our tongue and, and the calories delivered in a meal. Um, and I have a video about that if you just go to nutritionfacts.org and you can see the uh, quite compelling graphs. And that's the hard part. I think a lot of us try to continue to cheat by using some of these new alternatives. Like I do that a lot. I'm, I, you know, I love my, my cakes and my spongy, soft uh, comfort foods, as I call them. And so I'll have my good, you know, healthy meal, and then I'll go rummaging around for something to give me a little pep before I come interview Dr. Greger. So, of course, what have I done? I found these little cheat recipes, right? So it's almond flour and a macadamia nut oil or olive oil, Mm. uh, avocado oil, and then I'll toss in, of course, monk fruit. And your point is, you know, cheating is cheating is cheating. It may not be um, as bad as white sugar, which is bleached and harmful, et cetera, et cetera. But it's certainly, it's, it's still creating an insulin response that your body doesn't need. Uh, there are certainly healthier options and less healthy options. But yeah, we really should try to eat whole plant foods as much as possible. And by using these, you know, these, uh, these uh, acutely sweet, uh, you know, cheap products, as you say, we're maintaining this, uh, this hyper-sweet, hyper-fatty, hyper-salty palate such that natural foods just don't taste good. I mean, the ripest peach in the world tastes sour after a bowl of Fruit Loops. But, you know, you go a couple of weeks eating just natural foods, not adding sweetener, and all of a sudden natural food tastes delicious. 
Absolutely. All of a sudden, you don't need that. You know, you can eat, you know, corn on the cob without the butter, without the salt. Delicious. Just a plain, you know, sweet potato. Delicious. Craveably delicious, but not going to taste good if you keep, you know, deadening your palate with these kind of hyper-sweet, hyper-salty, hyper-fatty foods. And that's the key. I think we keep eating things that come out of packages that are designed in a lab to create addiction. And as long as you continue to do that, you're never going to go back do what the palate's meant to be, where you're now craving that sweet potato or craving that corn. So really step one for anyone who wants to live a healthy weight diet, not diet, the bottom line is you have to stop eating food made in the lab. Am I right? Oh, that would be an excellent start. You know, just like the tobacco industry sprays extra nicotine on the sheets of tobacco, yeah. the food industry uses, you know, fat, sugar, and salt to create these bliss point hyper palatability. You know, you can't eat just one kind of, uh, uh, kind of foods to make them as craveable as possible, just like the tobacco industry does. Um, and, you know, taps into the same kind of reward circuitry that, you know, alcoholics and cocaine abusers and, um, you know, uh, drug addicts have. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, so, I mean, it, it's a good thing that we're attracted to sweet things and to starchy things and we eat roots and fruits. And, um, but uh, the, uh, the, uh, the food industry has, you know, used these evolutionary hooks that used to be keep us alive, right? The taste for salt, there wasn't salt shakers or KFC on the African savanna. And so, yeah, taste for salt will keep us alive. But now taste for salt is killing us, probably the worst thing about our diet. Um, but the food industry knows this, doesn't care. They just want to satisfy their stockholders. Maybe they do care, but not care enough. Um, because if they didn't care, then they would just be undercut by the competitors who are willing to kill people for profits. Yeah, we're in this catch-22 of sorts, unfortunately, because money pays the bills and people chase after where the money is, and the money is in, in addictive products. But right, the money is in, right. I mean, look, uh, you know, uh, produce is the worst thing to sell, right? It goes bad, right? You want yeah. a snack cake that lasts on the shelf for a couple Tiny of Tiny margins. And there's no, right, you can't even brand it. You can't, yeah. uh, you can't patent it. I mean, yeah. even a broccoli grower isn't going to put an ad on TV for broccoli because they just buy their competitor's broccoli. Like, it doesn't make any sense. You'll never see an ad on the TV on, you know, the Super Bowl for sweet potatoes. Right? I mean, it's just like, um, there's just no money to be made. What you do is you sell brown sugar water. That's how you make money. And it's taxpayer subsidized sugar industry, right? I mean, our, we're, we're paying all this money to make dollar value, uh, dollar menu meat um, and cheap corn syrup. And the whole system is set up to maximize profits, but at the expense of human health. Slightly off topic, but I have to ask, how would, how would you fix this conundrum that we're in? What would you do? What do you mean? Well, I mean, if you're going to subsidize any food, we'll subsidize fruits and vegetables. Let's make them cheaper, even free, right? How about everything in the produce aisle is free? Boom, right? Um, and then look, if people want to, you know, eat junk, then that's fine. But they should, you know, uh, uh, the cheapest food should be the healthiest food. And we can do that through subsidies. And there's a lot of renowned leading physicians, practitioners that are working very, very hard to even get step one of that, which is allow the subsidies that people are given, the lower income people are given, to allow that to cover fruits, vegetables, because right now it covers Coke and pizza. Um, so uh, It still yeah. covers fruits and vegetables, but right, also covers Coke. Um, and that's a problem. I mean, it's just handing billions of dollars to the soda industry. 
Exactly. Yeah. And it shouldn't, yeah. it shouldn't cover, it shouldn't cover anything that's now been proven to be detrimental to health should not be covered under the food subsidies program in order to encourage, um, the, the whole plant-based diet, no doubt about it. All right. As you're writing this book, how long did it take for you to write this book, by the way? Took a year. Okay. So as you're writing this book, was there research that you came across that surprised you or something? Because uh, oh a lot of this we've yeah. heard before. I mean, look, I learned just as much as anybody else. You think I was taught about nutrition in medical school? Um, uh, yes, know. yes. You were not? No, what? I mean, we got 19 now. I, so I went to the medical school with most, the most nutrition training of any medical school in the country, which was just 19 hours out of thousands of hours of preclinical instruction. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, was, I learned just as much as anyone else. And probably uh, the key concept that I think was most undermined was this concept that, uh, you know, medical school were taught that a calorie is a calorie. You know, yeah. A calorie from one source is just as fattening as a calorie from any other. But it turns out it's not true. I mean, in a laboratory setting, it might be, but out in the real world, it falls flat on its face, right? 100 calories of chickpeas has a different impact on 100 calories of chicken or chicklets based on absorption, based on uh, effects on appetite. Um, and even if you eat the, and absorb the same amount of calories, um, you still, a calorie uh, may still not be a calorie. Uh, you know, different uh, foods eaten at different times of day, different meal distributions after a different amount of sleep have different uh, results in different amount of body fat. Um, so it's not just what you eat, but how you eat and, and when you eat. Um, so, I mean, that was really, that kind of shook the core of what I was thinking on, uh, on calorie balance. And, but it was, but that uh, gave me, um, that was great because it allowed me to do this whole, you know, new section of the book with my 21 tweaks, talking about ways to accelerate um, the loss of body fat, regardless of what you eat. Uh, Let's talk about that. Please dive into that because that is, you know, this is where everyone pauses and says, oh, I want to listen to this because it says I can eat whatever junk I want. <laughs> well, hopefully people won't just skip to that section. <laughs> eat healthy diets. But, you know, for example, negative calorie preloading, um, which means starting out a meal with uh, fruits, vegetables, soup, salad, or simply a tall glass of water, basically anything with less than 100 calories per cup. So, for example, eating a large apple before a meal is so uh, filling that yes. people go on to eat about, uh, about uh, 300 calories less food. So 100 calories in from the apple, 200 calories, 300 calories out. So effectively, eating an apple before a meal has, a, has negative 200 calories. So even if that was a horrible meal, you just, you just had, ne you know, you just with, you subtracted calories from the meal by eating that apple. Um, other tweaks, you know, I recommend two teaspoons of vinegar with every meal. Um, uh, when our body metabolizes the acetic acid in vinegar, we get a uh, natural boost in a fat burning enzyme called AMPK, causing people to lose about five pounds over uh, three months or just pennies a day without removing anything from the diet. Uh, you never want to take vinegar straight, but sprinkle on a salad or add it to some, you know, tea with lemon juice or something. Um, and that can be apple cider vinegar or any kind of vinegar, even this nasty distilled white vinegar, because the acetic acid itself is the vinegar itself that has the benefit. What else? Give us a few more. There's there's some other uh, sneaking timing. People just, sneaking people just a quarter teaspoon of garlic powder a day causes them to lose about six pounds of straight body fat over 15 weeks, and a quarter teaspoon a day would only cost about two cents. Easy to do. What about intermittent fasting? Eating oh, that's, that, the largest chapter in the book is on intermittent fasting because there's so many different types. I talk about alternate day fasting, five two fasting, twenty five five fasting, intermittent diets, time restricted feeding, on down the list. 
talk about the pros and cons of these. Probably the take-home, the biggest take-home is early time restricted feeding is probably a good idea. So um, restricting your eating wind daily eating window to less than 12 hours, so you're fasting half the time. And most importantly, you shift that towards the morning. We should weight our calories uh, towards the morning, certainly not eating after 7 p.m. Uh, food eaten at night is more fattening than the exact same food eaten earlier in the day, so the fewer calories after sundown, the better. Breakfast like a king, uh, lunch like a prince, dinner like a pop. Ancient wisdom coming back. It's all what's old is becoming new again. Dr. Greger, I want to thank you so much for taking the time out of your very busy schedule to come chat with us today. All right, so for those of us who are listening to this going, because, you know, a lot of it is knowing, but then a bigger part of it is doing, right? So I know everything. Now I got to go do it. That's where most people fall apart. Any insights on that? How can people go put into practice what, what they've just um, heard from us or what they've found in your book? Well, you know, uh, you know, diets don't work by definition, right? Because going on a diet implies at some point you're going off of a diet, right? Permanent weight loss requires permanent dietary change. Healthier habits just have to become a way of life. If they're going to be lifelong, you want them to lead to a long life. Thankfully, the single best diet proven for weight loss may just so happen to be the safest, cheapest way to eat for the longest, healthiest life. So I encourage people to go for it. You don't know how good you're going to feel until you give it a try. Awesome. And if there was one just one change that you would recommend everybody make starting right now, what would that be? Uh, well, the one recommendation that best sums up the, all the guidance in my new book would be to wall off your calories. Basically, make sure as many of your calories as possible, your protein, your carbs, your fat, are encased in cell walls. In other words, from whole intact plant foods. Very cool. Thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your walk. We'll see you soon. Happy to help. Keep up the good work. Thank you. And for the rest of you, I'm going to see you on another podcast very soon. Check out the show notes. We've got links. And of course, come join us on HealCircles.org to continue the conversation and lose some weight. I'll see you soon. That's a wrap. Share your love with a five-star review and get show notes at healthbootcamps.com. Connect with us on Health Bootcamps Facebook and Twitter. Also, don't forget to check out other great interviews and subscribe to the Get Healthier podcast today.